when you know something, say something and have the gut to get out there and stand up for somebody who can't stand for themselves. You know what I mean? And to me, that was that was that is priceless. That is priceless when you when when you know that you have saved a career or you've saved a life and 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 after that family comes into you and thanks you and 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 just it's I don't know it's pretty humbling. The Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tesla Q podcast. This is episode 43. We have a very special guest today. I'm going to be talking to Carl Hansen. As always, if you'd like to be a patron of the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Tesla Q podcast and start making monthly contributions there. If you want to make a one-time contribution, get in touch with me elsewhere and I will help you with that. And with Without further ado, we're going to get into the interview. So, welcome, Carl. Sir, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, definitely uh, look forward to talking to you, and uh, uh, glad we uh, we got to connect. Me too. So, who is Carl Hansen? Why why are we talking to you today? <laughs> I guess start at the beginning, wherever whatever you consider the beginning. Okay. Well, that I guess that really is the question, right? Who is Carl Hansen? Because I. Uh, well, everybody knows Carl Hansen, right? Tesla whistleblower. Um, I think that's the premise for uh, us talking. But Carl Hansen has been kind of quiet um, out of the, I guess, the public arena, so to speak, if you will, at least on social media. But uh, I do follow quite closely on Twitter. Um, and in fact, extensively, I follow that in, in media. But uh, I guess people don't know who I am. And I, I'll talk a little bit about uh, my background Um as most know, um, at least, you know, probably from Twitter and certain sources, um, you know, I, I started my military career. I was a military guy. I'm a retiree um, in 1989 and um, started out in the in the infantry as a member of the 82nd Airborne Division, you know, as a paratrooper. Um, you know, I also did a stint in the Coast Guard, came back to the Army, you know, and ultimately retired. But I, like I say, I was an infantry non-commissioned officer and uh, ultimately ended up having a uh, a parachuting injury fractured my neck and I had to had to change jobs um, somewhere along the way. And I was fortunate enough uh, to remain on active duty. Um, I heard about this MOS, uh, this job uh, called the CID, U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Command, CID Special Agent. So I applied. It was an application-only process. Uh, applied to become an agent. I became a federal agent. Um, short story working within the Department of Defense, specifically the, the Department of the Army, conducting felony-level investigations, um, a myriad of them, uh, predominantly death investigations, narcotics. I mean, you name any any major felony, uh, 18 U.S.C., Alaska statutes, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, um, things like that. Um, so I, I did that, and uh, I, was, I was really humbled to have been given quite a few unique opportunities within that, within that field, did that right up until I retired uh, from active duty in 2010. And people probably wonder, well, well, how does a guy that, you know, did all that, how, how you know, how do you end up in Reno, Nevada? <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a, I know it's an interesting thing. Uh, 
uh, let me let me go back. Uh, I'll cover the last I guess couple of years. I think it was 2008. Um, I was overseas and uh, working, uh, you know, as a field agent, and got tasked to to attend as an advanced security special agent the 2008 NATO summit under the you know under the Bush administration. And part of what I guess people don't don't realize. You know, we, we know that the, the president of the United States has a security detail, and, and obviously there's the U.S. Secret Service. The U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Command, outside of its investigative arm, also has another body called the Protective Services Battalion. Um, and the Protective Services Battalion is a, is a pretty unique uh, organization. And CID is responsible for the protective service operations uh, of senior Department of Defense officials. More, most exclusively would be the Secretary of Defense of the United States, uh, the Deputy Secretary of Defense. Um, and there are others, but I was, um, during that 2008 NATO summit as an advanced agent, um, I, I attended with, with a team that went out there, spent a couple of weeks out there in preparation and worked at the time with, let me see, with the Secret Service, Condoleezza Rice, President Bush, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates. Um, that was our primary focus was security for SecDef Gates and uh, General Corelli at the time, great man, great leader in the army, uh, was out there. And at the end of the day, um, a recommendation was made that I uh, submit an application, basically, and I was picked up and assigned to the Protective Services Battalion uh, shortly thereafter and moved to Washington, D.C. area, was assigned to work as a Protective Services Special Agent, assigned to former Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, and uh, under the, in the Bush administration, and then subsequently um, in the second administration after that was the Obama administration. I was assigned to uh, same detail, but for Robert Gates, um, which was a very I, I, I tell you I don't you know I don't count it much. I, I I'm a pretty humble dude to be honest with you, um, mm-hmm. but I, I will say that that's probably the highlight of my career. Um, that opportunity to have been so fortunate to have been able to. Well, number one, been recognized and, and then and, and then specifically told, hey, why don't you why don't you apply to come on over here? I think you'd be a good asset. And then having having the opportunity to, you know, at that time, serve at the 2008 NATO summit and the motorcade with the president and the SECDAF. And I mean, everything that went into that it was so cool. And it was uh, it was actually really cool. My kids got a kick out of it because like, yeah, my dad's there. <laughs> oh, my gosh, he's with the president. You know, and it was it was cool. Um, and then uh, I guess moving forward, um you know, I worked uh, the president. I worked President Obama's uh, inauguration. Uh, was assigned that day. Was there a part of security detail for that? Um, you know, with the Secret Service, because obviously the SecDef attends that. It's a pretty significant event. And throughout the, I, I want to say in that second, uh, under Secretary of Defense Gates, I was offered an opportunity to be part of a, a, a counterterrorism team, special counterterrorism team that they have. That's assigned there um, with the responsibility. Uh, to conduct overt and covert counterterrorism surveillance operations for threats directed at the Secretary of Defense, um, and and also you know where there's an, a threat to an army you know was an army nexus if you will, um, and that was pretty cool. Um, I I had the opportunity to be part of that in town team um, uh, at the uh, actually the the SecDef residence. Um, it was kind of unique at times uh, being out there and seeing the Secretary of Defense of the United States hanging out smoking cigars with the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs the staff and, and, you know, and then uh, talking to General Petraeus and other people, you know, it's just, it was a unique, humbling opportunity for me uh, personally. And, uh, 
So I enjoyed that. Up until 2010, I, I retired out of that position. And, and I'll say that prior to that, 2004, I was fortunate enough to, uh, I had an opportunity in the Army. It was, uh, you know, the Army has a way of telling you where you're going to be stationed and what you're going to do. And so a branch manager, we call a branch manager, someone that selects your assignments, you know, reached out and said, well, hey, got a choice. You can go to Fort Riley, Kansas, um, or you can go to Alaska. And I said, well, huh. Alaska. Why not? Let's do that. So, I mean, the short story is that packed up the family and moved to Alaska. And it would, that was a unique thing, too, because uh, my dad was alive at the time and um, his lifelong goal was to always go to Alaska. And I, I called him up one day and I said, hey, you're not going to believe this. And he was uh, retired, semi-retired at the time, actually. And I uh, had just bought an RV, ironically enough. And uh, I said, I got orders to Alaska. He said, no, you don't. I said, I do. I said, you always want it to go. Let's do it. So uh, they sold their property, packed up everything, got in the RV, and we went to Alaska. My dad stayed there until unfortunately passed away several years later up there. But got to take dad up there, and he, uh, he, he, he we, I know he, you know, he got to experience the lifelong dream he had. And, um, but I'll touch on, on Alaska a little bit because uh, it, I think it ties into, like I say, in 2010, I retired from that role. I was again, extremely fortunate in that, you know, you spend enough time within the government or any organization and, uh, you know, active duty versus civilian jobs. The Department of Defense also hires civilians. It's no secret, right? Um, and so mm -hmm. prior to retiring, uh, while I was still in the D.C. area, I, I found a couple jobs. I wanted to go back to Alaska, you know, so I found a job up there that I knew I could do and it was a job called a uh, medical evaluation board liaison officer and basically what happens is um, that re the roles and responsibility or the role and responsibilities of that position um, was to initiate track monitor and and ultimately um, follow through to closure medical evaluation boards um, which are basically you, you've got soldiers coming back from Iraq Afghanistan, whatever. You've got soldiers that on active duty that have injuries, illnesses, things that don't allow them to remain, um, you know, on active duty. So, so there's a process. Basically, I monitor that, make sure the process was done and that, that at, throughout the process, um, everybody, you know, the soldiers taken care of, that nothing is missed, that, uh, uh, all compliance standards are met with respect to their medical care, treatment, assessment, and ultimately, um, following through to discharge, whether that be a retirement or a discharge, um, to ensure a smooth transition over to the VA so that they were entitled to their benefits, um, and that they received those benefits that they were entitled to and earned. I did that for, uh, I retired in January of 2010, February 1st. I started that role and I, um, uh, I, I, about nine months I stayed in that position and I, I worked about 60 cases and, um, senior official commander up there, um, the Warrior Transition Battalion, I don't know if you've heard of those, but uh, the Warrior Transition Units in the, in the Army uh, were created several years ago now um, as a unit that would allow wounded, ill, and injured soldiers coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan or even, even here in, in the continental United States um, that had injuries and such. Um, they weren't able to perform their duties in their assigned units, so they were reassigned to this medical treatment facility, if you will, or this unit that their sole focus was to rehabilitate, to get treatment, to get care, and then ultimately return to duty or um, 
you know, whether they're retired because they couldn't continue to move out. So anyway, um, I was asked to submit uh, a resume for that position by the commander of the Warrior Transition Battalion uh, in Alaska uh, based on my, you know, uh, the work I had done as an, um, or I'm sorry, as a, uh, as a, as a physical evaluations board liaison officer. Anyway, I was given the title. I, I was hired as a medical ombudsman uh, with, for the Department of Defense and uh, um, that was a senior DOD position and I covered down and had a responsibility for the monitoring of medical boards, medical care and treatment, um, compliance standards with medical care and treatment for the state of Alaska, uh, with respect to all branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard. And, um, as you can imagine, Alaska is a big place and, and there's a lot of military up there. People probably don't, don't know that, you know, and so it's spread out. A lot of, a lot of Coast Guard people, I would imagine. Yeah, actually, surprisingly, there are, there are, especially with the fisheries industry, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In fact, worked, worked a few cases. And, and I guess one of the things uh, when I was, when I assumed that role in 2010, there were a lot of challenges. There were a lot of challenges. And I, this is going to segue into, I guess, you know, maybe a little later, uh, the, the, the Tesla situation. But uh, let me just first, before I go into that, say that I, I've, you know, my dad raised me as a as a guy to as the bottom line is uh, you got to have integrity. Right. Um, and and, mm-hmm. and what you got at the end of the day is you got your word, you got your name. And and people think that that's somewhat cliche, um, you know, and I, I was quoted recently in an article that, you know, the only thing you take to your grave is your name. Well, I, I got to mm-hmm. tell you this. Um, that's a fact. And I couldn't care less what anybody says they want to argue that that's fine everybody's entitled their opinion uh the the huge news story today we're we're recording on august 10th 2019 and of course someone someone's name going to their grave today is basically mud the the world over and that's jeffrey epstein the oh yes yes child molester guy or so yeah yep that is the only thing you can take to your grave pretty much is, is your name and you know what prime, that's, prime example on the other end of it. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a, that's a great way to, yeah, it's a great way to, I guess, exemplify that if you will. Uh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Because that's what he, that's what he's known for. Um, but I, I speak to that because I, I really have tried to live my life in that way and raising my children, uh, raising my kids, just, just the example, um, you know, as a leader, I, and not even as a leader, as a human being, I think we have a, we have an obligation to, to 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 identify what right looks like, and and then you know operate within those in those guidelines. And I, it's not a hard thing to do. Um, so in my position, you know, as as a federal medical ombudsman, um, it, it was important to me. Um, I realized really quick that you know I ran into. <laughs> And I'd seen it before, right? But I'd run into levels of corruption up there within the Department of the Army in Alaska specifically. Um, that that just it would blow your mind. It would blow your mind. Um, the the level of malfeasance um, and and just blatant in your face corruption by people in power, um, general officers, uh, you know, senior commanders that that are in positions of authority. You know, all the way up to the politicians, the governor's office there. I mean, it was it was 
uh, it was egregious. And I don't want to get into the details or whatever, but I will share this. Well, you know, my first year when I when I was hired into that role, 2010, I got a lay of the landscape. Now, I had been very familiar with that base and that installation. I'd served up there for many years before going overseas for a year. And so I, you know, what happens in a place like Alaska is, you know, you either love it or you hate it. And a lot of folks, they spend their career there. It's their last assignment. They'll retire and they'll go to work you know, on the base, there'll be a Department of Defense civilian employee, which is kind of what I did, right? Um, so I still had a lot of colleagues and contacts up there and a lot of friends. And they were, you know, they were pretty happy. Um, a lot of them medical professionals, um, hospital uh, senior executives. And because my role was medically focused, that's where I spent a lot of time. And my roles and responsibilities were to brief military commanders um, on the correct statutes and regulations governing medical boards, medical care and treatment of soldiers. Um, they, and they know this stuff. They should know this stuff. But what I found out is that when, you know, in certain army units uh, under combat units that are getting ready to maybe deploy or whatnot, um, they've got to be at a, a state of readiness, right? And if you've got wounded, ill, or injured soldiers that can't perform their duties, but they're still assigned to your unit, then, then, then that unit is not at a state of readiness in order to meet its combat mission. And and so that becomes a problem. And if there's a myriad of internal challenges, you know, within the organizations. But one of the things that I saw was the rampant maltreatment and abuse of soldiers. And, and I'm talking egregious stuff, um, malicious stuff with willful intent to harm. I mean, just bad. So this was this was rampant. And so my first year up there as an ombudsman, you know, cut to the chase. I worked 1,100 investigations, if you will, 1,100 cases. Right at, I think it was right at in 11. One year. In one, in the first year. It was so wow. bad. Um, the, the just, you know, and they, the, I'm not saying that those are all significantly egregious, but that was the number. The guy that was in that position prior to my, uh, assuming that role, when I, when I took over and I looked at his statistics, he was there for a period of three years. And in that time, um, his total sum of cases was 47. 47. So 47 cases in did, three years. And so they just, Weren't doing anything, basically? Well, so that, that individual um, had some challenges and issues. And, and what you find when I talk about this corruption, right? So this is this kind of leads into, you've probably heard of the inspector general, right? The, the De- Department mm-hmm. of Defense. The Department, every agency in federal government has got an inspector general. So um, I, have, I, I have very little respect um, for the inspectors general community. Um, at least in, in, in so far as those that I worked with up there, I think there were maybe one or two individuals that I found who had the guts and the audacity to do the right thing when their investigations and inquiries found that there was wrongdoing. The problem I found um, was that a lot of times their senior raters or the people evaluating them or assessing them were, in fact, the very people who were responsible for the conduct that was under investigation. So now you've got you've got a problem, right? You've got somebody who's afraid to stand up, who doesn't want to rock the boat because, oh, my gosh, the colonel rates me. I'm going to get a bad rating. I'm going to get a bad review. I'm going to have my butt shoot, whatever. And so I found that, um, you know, the short story is the individual that was in my role prior um, was pretty lazy. He was just lazy and um, he was easily intimidated and he had developed relationships with commanders and other people um, that basically he wouldn't stand up to them. Um, The commander would tell him one thing, even though it was glaringly obvious that soldier A was being abused and and maltreated. 
Um, but, you know, he, he checked the block, conducted his inquiry, and referred it back to the command for action deemed appropriate. Well, to me, as a senior GS-12 employee within the Department of Defense, you're the senior dude on that, that, in that state and on that installation, and you have direct access. You know who he answered to? I answered to the Office of the Surgeon General of the United States Army. That was my chain of command. I had unfettered access to the top. And so I chose to exploit that and use that to conduct my job to take care of people and save lives. And that's what I did um, in, in that time. So I, I say that, that, you know, that corruption, I saw it. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on, it took about two years, honestly, for for thing, for people to realize, you know, the, the Army has, there's mechanisms, there's resources available. People can go to the IG, people can get, make complaints to patient advocates, they can um, do whatever. A lot of times what they face is a stumbling block. And what I've found is that, again, for a myriad of reasons, there are individuals, a lot of individuals won't or can't stand up for themselves. Um, and they can't, they can't or won't for whatever reason. They're afraid of retaliation. They're afraid of abuse. And the retaliation was rampant. And, and that was the biggest thing. And so within an organization like the military, where you have a chain of command and you have certain, um, you know, rules and regulations and, 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 and things that prevent you from questioning leadership and questioning somebody above you in rank. Um, I, to me, that was a crock of crap. What's, you know, and, and what's right is right. And these commanders know you're in a command position. You're a commander. You say you didn't know. Well, you should have known. You're responsible. And so I, I you know, it took about two years. I'll, I'll get on off, off my bandwagon there. But it's, it's a source of frustration to me because I hate bullies. And what I saw is a lot of bullying. I hate it. And I've seen victims of that. And I, I, I've seen suicides as a result of that. And but the opposite side of that is while I was up there in that tenure, we saved a lot of lives from suicide. And I, I can tell you a couple stories on that. But moving moving after two years, it got to the point where people, commanders, senior hospital staff, they said nurses, doctors, people dealing with with people with soldiers who had command issues would say, go see Carl, go call Carl Hansen, go Carl, you know, go over to the warrior transition tell you see the ombudsman, see the ombudsman. And um, so it, it was it ended up being. I don't know. It's it just to me, it was doing your job, doing what was right because it was right. When you know something, say something and have the guts to get out there and stand up for somebody who can't stand for themselves. You know what I mean? And to me, that was that was that is priceless. That is priceless. When you when when you know that you have saved a career or you've saved a life and, and, and after that family comes into you and thanks you and, and, and just it's I don't know, it's pretty humbling. That's all I'll say. It's pretty humbling. And so I and it was hard work. Let me tell you, it was hard work. I mean, I was working day in, day out, day in. Day. I was getting calls all the time. And, I, and, and funny because I, it's ironic because I will say that I, I was in that role from 2010 to 2017. And uh, to this day, to this very day, two weeks ago, I got a phone call. I, I, I get calls from around the world. Now, I, one of my it's kind of segue into how I got to Reno. We'll circle it back. But in that role up there, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, I'm sure you know about Chris Kyle. You know who Chris Kyle was? The uh, sniper, American sniper. That's correct. Chris Kyle, American sniper. Absolutely. Um, great American man, tragic story, but, uh, Taya Kyle, his wife and the Chris Kyle foundation after Chris's unfortunate, uh, uh, death, um, you know, the foundation got together and they said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to create the Chris, 
I, I, I don't know all the business aspects of it, but basically the Chris Kyle Patriots Hospital. There were several of those um, that are now in operation. And one of those uh, grand opening was in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, the Chris Kyle Patriots Hospital. And uh, I was so humbled and fortunate um, to be invited to that grand opening to meet Taya Kyle um, and, and senior army officials, as well as senior medical professionals um, in Anchorage uh, at that time. And and I I was able to do that because one of my, I'm going I'm to use the term battle buddies. So one of my battle buddies, it's a common term you've probably heard, a psychiatrist up there. He was an active duty psychiatrist who I first met in 2010. That first year I was conducting those 1,100 cases. Got a phone call from this doc, a voicemail on my message saying, understand you're the, you're the medical ombudsman. I don't know what the F is going on over here in that unit over on this base, but I got a patient right now that's being abused, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, whoa, who is this guy? So anyway, I call this doc back. He and I are great best friends right now. He's an ultra runner with me. I run trails and mountain races and all that. And He's kind of crazy like that, but he went on to um, leave active duty uh, as a forensic psychiatrist, and he's um, now um, in in private practice uh, in Anchorage, um, and is actually was responsible uh, and took part in uh, the Chris Kyle Patriots Hospital opening. He's a staff psychiatrist there, in fact, and covers down in several other areas, and we work extensively with veterans. Well. Doc called me out. He's been calling me ever since. <laughs> two weeks ago. I got I got a guy. I got a master sergeant here. I got a warrant officer here. The guy, they need your help. They're getting screwed. Anyway, what I'm saying is that this is carried over. And so on the side as well, I, what people don't know, I guess, also is that even though I left that role, I'm still working as an advocate and a consultant in my spare time as I have for free I don't get paid for this, but I have such admiration and respect, and I know the the the, the culture that can be cultivated and, and and the malicious crap. And it was funny because after I left there, um, one of these most recent calls is one of the former commanders up there, Colonel called. She, she said, Carl, it's gone back to hell since you left. Can you get back up here? They asked me to contact Medcom headquarters to see if I could get them to open a anyway to open a position back up so that I could go back up there to be the ombudsman. <laughs> And so this is a true story. I'm not making this up, man. And and I said, geez, you know, I'd love to love to do that. And I actually at one point I tried. So um, moving on. Um, oh, where was I there? So, so the, yeah, moving on. So so Chris Kyle Hospital. I go out there. We stand this up. These docs are still calling. Um, so I stayed in that role till 17. And then I was offered a promotion in federal service, so GS 13, 14 role as the senior investigator. I'm going to take this down to to LA now, uh, with the federal maritime commission worked down there for a year. And then, uh, you know, as life would have it, a lot of those people, the docs, the friends moved on to other things. And, uh, I got a call from that particular doc from Chris Kyle. And he said, Hey, you ever think of, uh, you ever think of getting into real estate? And I laughed. I said, what? I said, uh, no, dude, I'm a retired criminal investigator. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. He goes, no, I'm serious. I've been working this about two years and we've been studying the Reno market. And so he, he went into real estate, to, uh, you know, to help augment his income. And, and, and he said, this Reno market is really good. And we're looking for somebody we trust that we'd get down there that would, uh, be willing to get the real estate license and it's the Reno Tahoe area. And, and I thought, no, but then I knew who I was dealing with, right? This is my good buddy. He's a man of integrity. Um, and somebody I trust and I would, I'd go into the depths of hell with right now. Um, so I said, yeah, you know what? Time for a change. Yeah, let's do it. So 
I rolled out to Reno, Nevada, because I, you know, a trail and ultra runner guy. I was like, oh, Tahoe's right there. Cool. Um, so in the meantime, I, I was going to doing this, this home study uh, to get my Nevada real estate license to look into this and look at his business uh, model and, and work to develop that. And what I needed to do was to supplement my income. So I applied to several places. And I, one of those places happened to be Tesla. And uh, I, I said, wow, very, very good. Um, I submitted an online application, got a call that same day. The recruiter got hired, moved in. And, um, you know, was doing that, was going to go there temporarily. You know, that was the thing. Going to just augment the income, go out there temporarily, thought I'd, I'd help out. So once I was brought on board, you know, my background and experience was recognized and it was recommended um, that I move into the investigations role out there as an internal investigator. Um, you know, I, I, I only intended to work at Tesla temporarily, like I said. Um, well, I got the real estate business up and running here. You know, that was the intent. And um, and that has all gone to hell, I, I, I will tell you. Uh, to, I guess that's the, I, I don't know any other way to put it. Um, suffice mm-hmm. to say, I couldn't I couldn't tell you what a real estate book looks like right now. Um, I was uh, anyway. So, you know, I went in there. Um, I was led to believe that uh, there were standards, procedures, investigative procedures, uh, security procedures in place that my role was, in fact, to help protect the company um, and the assets of the company. I mean, that's what an internal investigator does uh, within corporate America. It also does it within whatever other realm. But in that world, um, what I really learned quickly, though, was it was a soup sandwich, for lack of a better term. I'm sorry, that's that's an old military infantry term. But um, there were I, I was just dumbfounded. Um, I learned that they were going to, they wanted to scale the investigations department, which was why I was brought in. I was asked to develop best practices based on my expertise that I thought may benefit the internal investigations department and the security um, apparatus there. And I found that um, basically Tesla's a big place. The Gigafactory is a big place. Was the presence of the Gigafactory maybe a part of why the real estate market looked to be picking up? Have any insight into that? ironically enough, I learned that later. Yeah. I had no idea. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I had heard of Tesla. Okay. I, I, I'd heard of Tesla in Southern California. I saw these cool model S cars and I was like, wow, that's a pretty sharp looking car. It's a Tesla. I didn't know what a, I didn't know what a Elon Musk was. I didn't know what a Tesla was. I didn't know anything. Um, other than that looked like a cool car. And, um, so then I got here and I learned that, you know, I Googled some crap and learned that Tesla was a pretty cool place, apparently, you know, and and that was a great company to work for. They were very, you know, progressive. People were coming out to Reno in droves to go to work out here. Um, and, and so that is why I learned the housing market was booming. And um, so, yeah, that, the answer is yeah. But I but, you know, you know, things change real quick. My opinion changed real quick when I saw what the real operation was inside there, when I saw the, the leadership and I saw the lack of leadership, if you will, um, I saw, you know, every, everything within that organization out there um, during my tenure. Um, and as I'm told pretty much still today is reactionary, reactionary, reactionary. That's it. Um, execute the mission at all costs. And the mission, the mission is based on our sales and our numbers and what we're putting out and damn the rest. 
So, but I don't want to get into that. That's not my, um, my bailiwick, but real quick, I, I became pretty concerned. When I say the first couple months there, I was really concerned. It was clear to me that it was only a matter of time before something seriously catastrophic occurred, whether that was an injury. And then, and I'm going to tie that into the knowledge I had about, you know, specific investigations and, 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 and criminal activity and ongoing stuff out there that I was looking into, um, you know, you, you know, up at one of the sites out there seeing shell casings and bullet casings on the ground overlooking the, the Giga factory, you know, but we don't know if on, on Tesla property, people up there shooting guns, what are they doing? I mean, just, that's just one example of some, some stuff that, that makes you question, um, the overall security operation, right? So, uh, geez, you know, where do you go from there? So I, let me just touch, let me just say that from an investigative standpoint, because that's where I started, I was focusing, right, on investigations. Um, during the course and conduct um, of some investigations that are outlined, I, I will just say stuff out there in the complaint that we just filed, um, and I don't want to deviate much into a lot of that stuff, but one of the things I will say is that as a as a former law enforcement official, I will say that I I kind of know what probable cause is, um, and that's a that's it's a pretty significant legal term. And I thought throughout the course of my investigations that I had developed sufficient probable cause um, for to warrant further investigation, and it, it was significant enough that I felt we needed to bring in local, state, and federal law enforcement based on my probable cause findings. And um, on an array of alleged crimes, um, uh, which are, in fact, outlined in the complaint, right? Briefly touched upon. Um, mm -hmm. And I was led to believe I was given these investigations. I was, you know, I'm not going to get into specifics on what I was told and not told to do. Um, but when I started reporting up the chain all the way up to and including the CEO um, and his staff, um, I was told, sit down shut up in color, basically. You will not talk to law enforcement. You will talk to nobody outside of Tesla. No, you can't do that, Carl. And, um, you know, you keep, yeah, you keep your investigations. I'll just share this. Keep your investigations off this. Don't put this, don't put this on the, on the internal computer. Keep this off the record. Work on this at home. So th those are things I was told. Um, and so and not, you know, this wasn't my first rodeo, right? With, with, malfeasance, corruption, and seeing, seeing bad stuff and red flags. Uh, I'm a pretty intuitive person. And so I started to see, I guess, if you will, maybe the wall starting to, to close. I started to see different behaviors amongst leaders. Um, I started to be shut out of meeting. I mean, everything that goes into this, I mean, that a lot of people, may, I guess they're not aware of. I assume they are because I've been in this bubble for so long now, but I don't know if people realize uh, the depths of the retaliation, the harassment, um, and some of it is so it, it's not obvious. It's it's over. It's covert. It's quiet. It's it's behind the scenes. And and so many people that are that are victim of this, they don't pay attention to it. But one thing I will say is when I when I started to see this, when I was told that I would not talk to law enforcement, that was the moment for me. You know, and I'm, this is not being arrogant, but you, I I don't aspire to that. I don't agree with that. You don't tell a guy like me, you tell me to not look into something that you gave me to look into. And then you tell me not to talk to, to, to report findings. Well, the only thing that's going to do is make me 
turn up the heat in my investigation. Then I'm going to start investigating you and I'm going to find out everything about you and everything about your operation that I need to know because I know you're up to no good. I know you're conducting egregious, I don't know, I don't know, call criminal activity, fraud. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff. So suffice it to say, um, one of the things that I, I do want to talk about a little bit is I did start investigating a whole bunch of things and a whole bunch of people. And, um, I learned quite a bit and I've continued that right up to this point, actually extensively. And it's been, it's been grueling. It's been tenuous. It's been time consuming. It's been emotionally and physically draining. The entire thing has been a, financially, it's just been catastrophic. And, um, but I, I know it's one of those things, you know, you just need to keep going because you know what you know. I, and I've learned a long time ago in my career is that what you know and what you can prove are two different things. And so my goal and my objective was to find evidence to be able to prove the allegations because mm -hmm. you are responsible for what you know, whether you believe it or not. Everybody is. Not me, not, not just you, not just me, everybody. We are responsible for what we know. And when we have knowledge it, 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 and, and we know what right looks like, and even if it's inconvenient, well, you better stand up. We have a responsibility to stand up and do the right thing. And I've said this, I've said this to my kids. I've said this to people I, I talk to and younger people I mentor is that, you know, sometimes you're going to stick your head above the crowd because that's what you do when you do the right thing. And you're going to be the only one standing there. Right. And it's a lonely, lonely, dark place. It really is. It really is. And, but one thing I've learned is that if you stand in that arena and you stay in that arena long enough, whether it's by yourself, the right people are going to notice and you're going to get some help and you're going to get some support and you, you don't know when it's coming. But you just know that there's good people out there. And, you know, my hope is that more people, because I know, I know they exist. I've talked to them inside Tesla, the people that were victimized out there. I hope that they have the courage to step up. And I've said that, you, you know what, reach out to me. I'll, I'll, I'll interview you. I'll talk to you. I'll see what I can do to help. Because I am, in fact, still engaged. And I don't know if people know this, but there are people that are identified and there are some that haven't been brought to light yet that I've been working extensively with legally and, and uh, uh, personally to assist in their claims. Uh, so this is ongoing. But um, my, my, my hope is that, yeah, you, you know, people see this and, and people stand up and, and they're willing to come forward. So uh, where was I going? I'm sorry, I got on that tangent. It's a very passionate subject for me, personal, you know. Well, so that moment when you were told, don't talk to the police, how much how much more motivated were you after that moment than before that moment in your supposed investigator role, which apparently they didn't want you to actually uh, work hard at. Sounds like it's a great question. I'll say this: I, I had been motivated. Listen, I will say this. And this is funny. You mentioned that people have said to me, Carl, my whole career, how are you always? So you're always so damn positive. How are you so motivated all the time? And, 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 and my supervisors, I've never had it. I don't like micromanage. My point is, I'm a self-motivated individual. I was very motivated to do the right thing, to help the company, to save the money. I mean, the thefts were going on. I wanted to, I wanted to help the company. And I wanted to, you know, to, to protect um, the assets, the organization, the people. You know, that, that's, that, that's what I did, you know. And as soon as they told me that I couldn't collaborate with law enforcement, I knew what they wanted. They wanted me to protect Elon Musk. They wanted me to protect the company and the lies. You know, period. The lies, the lies, you know, the blatant lies that were being put out that, that everybody knew about. Um, and that's when my motivation changed directly 
to finding out what was really going on. You know, I changed the direction, if you will. I was no longer, I'll be honest, I wasn't investigating for the company. I knew what was going on in the company at that time. I was investigating to find out what the company was doing and why they were doing it and to expose the wrongs that I knew were in existence, period. And I know with, with the ongoing legal situation, you're not at liberty to discuss a lot of that right now. Yeah. But in in vagaries, is there anything you could say about that other than maybe just re- read the filing? Well, you know, uh, in consultation with my with my attorneys um, specifically regarding that, um, I, I will say that we're going to go ahead and just leave what's in the complaint in the complaint, you know, and, and let that be. I, I will say that, you know, a lot of people didn't understand what went into this uh, under SOX. Sarbanes-Oxley. A lot of people didn't, they, they didn't know about it, um, whatever. So it took a long, took a lot of, a lot of time. It took, like I said, 10 months plus behind the scenes working with, um, you know, legal folks, other agencies, you know, and the, and the complaint is out there and people can read that for themselves. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm not going to elaborate on, on anything. Um, you know, if you have a specific question or something you want to ask, then, then we can address that and see how we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, um, you understand. That's great. You understand yeah. the reason for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll find the link to that, and I'll include the link in the show notes for this episode just so okay, people good. can find it easily. Right, absolutely. Yeah. What What's next? What What's your What does a day in the life of Carl Hansen look like in August of 2019? Great how question. How does that compare to 2018? Yeah, so 2018. 2018. Well, 2018 was a, was a year at Tesla, right? And, uh, you know, lost the job, was out of work, lost the finances, went to hell, truck repoed, all this crazy stuff. Um, actually, a day in the life of Carl is pretty much get up. I was fortunate enough to uh, go back to work here recently, albeit at a significantly less uh, salary. So we're trying to recover from that. So basically, um, you know, I make $14 an hour, man. Um, you know, and I was a senior GS 13 employee. I came out here, was, um, accepted a contract with Tesla, you know, working for 87 a year, you know, whatever's in the complaint, you can read about that. But, um, you know, it's uh, day in the life. It's, it's kind of hard to be in Reno right now and, and actually work, um, with certain powers at play, uh, to be honest with you, right? You know, big money players. And um, mm-hmm. there's, you know, as a federal whistleblower, listen, everybody here that I've talked to job-wise trying to find a job, they know about, you know, this is this has been media out here, you know? So this is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's been out there. I don't know. It's, it's tough. A day in the life is get up, go to work, um, just now getting back into uh, you know, a little bit more racing and running and things like that to try and work on my health. Um, but I'm here to stay in the arena and, and, and battle these guys. I mean, that's the bottom line. I'm not going anywhere. Um, one of the things I will touch base on that I meant to was that back to this investigative piece, when I was told not to talk to law enforcement, um, and one thing that this is out there and I, I, I don't, it's no big deal is that, uh, you know, when that same time I was told, um, Tesla was bringing on a whole new security team. And, um, you know, it's, it's referenced out there in the complaint, but, um, you know, it needs more attention is the fact that uh, Tesla and Musk hired uh, former Uber security guys and investigators 
Um, and this is name is pretty significant. Um, there's a document called the Jacobs letter out there that I would recommend everybody read because I will share with you that when I turned and I started doing my investigation, part of my inquiry was into who these individuals were, where they came from, because this, the leader of this pack, if you will, was, you know, showed up when Martin Tripp got taken down out of the blue. We just hired this guy and his team came in there. These are the exact same guys that Uber got rid of after a whistleblower complaint was filed by Richard Jacobs against Uber um, and this team. So ironically, these guys were forced out of Uber. There's litigation ongoing in that. Um, but part of the whistleblowers, well, actually the Jacobs letter outlines what exactly they did, the illegal tactics, techniques, and procedures they employed while at Uber. Uber out has ousted them as a result of this. And the same team is hired by Musk to come over here. And um, I will tell you, the Jacobs letter outlines what I believe they, they do at Tesla. I saw it firsthand, um, experienced it, and, um, you know, others can corroborate that. But I, I, would, I would tell you, take a look at that um, in your spare time. Um, you know, so these dudes actually, you know, back during their time at Uber when they were doing this, they, they actually bugged the hotel room of a Saudi official, um, to, you know, during business meetings. They've been involved in very, very significant illegal activity um and you know to protect uber's former ceo um and his cronies and 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 it's exactly what they're doing for musk now period period and i don't think i don't think that that's been given enough attention out there the significance of that um yeah that's it you know so yeah. i'm gonna stay here in the read what, what what's next is i'm gonna stay right here i'm gonna continue driving on um I'm going to do my best with the resources I can pull together and I can call together to to help uh, continue helping the whistleblowers that I'm currently working with, um, as well as my own. And, um, you know, as <laughs> I hope more people come forward and as they do, I'm here for them as well, um, particularly if they happen to be in this arena out here, you know. So you're te- uh, you're almost like an unofficial Tesla employee ombudsman. Yeah, I guess so. I, actually, that's a great way of looking at it. But yeah, yeah, because you know why? It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, and it's and it's needed. There's a there's a, a a demand for such a position. Yes, sir. I I would I would agree. Ironically enough, it's funny you touch on that because in, on Twitter, I just somebody somebody I I don't know who it was. Anyway, said that oh Tesla just created an internal uh, compliance department or something like this, and. Um, a fraud, fraud, internal fraud, whatever department, and I, I just yeah, yeah, that came that. out this past week, I think, or yeah. actually, they, uh, I think I noticed that they, yeah. they posted that position the very same day that your Sarbanes Oxley suit yeah. was filed, right? And July nineteenth. So Christina, Christina Ballon reached out and she commented on that as well. And it's a job for you, call or something along those lines, but um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think something along the lines of. Well, Carl, now that you managed to create a Tesla, uh, a department within Tesla to spy on all employees or something, it was, I, I laughed at it. You know, I, I, I can't get on there and comment, but, uh, um, but it's, it's interesting because there's also a study out or a, there's a, uh, there's a college paper that was actually done, um, recently. Um, and in fact, I came across it by Googling my name. I mean, it outlines a very extensive study into Tesla's corporate culture and their lack of uh, organizational compliance, ethics, and whistleblower, you know, departments. Um, and in fact, it should probably be out there, but 
you know, by a business management student, um, use my case as a whistleblower to do a study about Tesla uh, and their lack of uh, outlets for whistleblowers and uh, lack of policies for corporate ethical compliance and protecting whistleblowers. Pretty, pretty, pretty weird that I found that, but people can Google it. It's out there. Um, I, I'll try to find that and add it to the show notes also, as well as that, uh, the last thing you're talking about, the, uh, the Jacobs the letter. Paper, uh, yeah. The Jacobs letter with the Uber guys. So just speculating a little bit, would yep. you guess that the overall corporate culture of Tesla is probably a factor in the all the executive departures that they've had? Absolutely. Or, yep. Yep. And I, I think I, that, that that's funny you mentioned that, or ironic, it's not funny, but th- that, that in and of itself, and I'm not a business major or an executive, but I will tell you, applying common sense, looking at that, these are some pretty senior professional people, right? All these executives with, with great pedigrees, great resumes, probably a lot of experience. And to see the sheer number of executive departures in such a short period of time bail out, you know, that, that, that tells me that the walls are really coming in. They're closing in. And I will say there are other investigations that I'm involved in too, you know, um, and with some other agencies that are, that are ongoing here. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talk about that, the, the walls closing in, the executive departures. Um, it, it, the leadership was non-existent. In fact, it wasn't leadership at all. It was, it was a, it, what my experience and my observations were. It was a totalitarian operation with Elon Musk at the helm. And um, people, were, people were afraid of that dude. To be honest with you, they're scared to death of him. You know, and, and I, yeah, I think it's a great story. Great story. Uh, I, I got to share this because why not? So early on, um, when I had first, right before, first week or two out there, um, I was um, I was still in their internal training phase, learning the facility, learning the operations. And so we uh, we go in for our shift, and there's a pre-shift briefing, and, and I, I noticed that everybody, there's security's running around, kind of like, what's going on? They're all excited, and, 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 and one of the supervisors comes to me, and or they yell, hey, anybody, who's, we need somebody with executive experience. Um, and, and I, Carl, weren't you? Weren't you on the SecDef staff or something? Yeah, what's up? Well, Voyager's on his way. I said, who? Voyager. There's code name for, for Elon Musk, the CEO at Gigafactory, <laughs> is Voyager. So Voyager's on his way. And, uh, you know, we, we, we need somebody to go. We need, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple specific employee entrances and security entrances over there. We need somebody with experience to go over there and uh, wait, for, uh, wait for Musk and not let anybody in and out. Okay. Yeah, I can handle that. So I go over to the gigafactory, get, get assigned to this. And at this point, all the other security officers are dispersed. And so my job is to greet the CEO, greet the executive when he comes in, you know, and um, make sure that there's no issues. So I'm standing there. Um, and of course, I'm hearing that yeah, he's delayed. He's delayed. So this Model S, Model S rolls in. And uh, well, prior to him rolling in, I'm standing at the door and uh, then the director of security, actually, he didn't come out. A couple of one of the supervisors comes up to me and he's from behind and he says in my ear, Carl. And I look and I said, yeah, whatever you do, he says, do not look him in the eyes when you open that door. And I looked at him like he was, I said, what? He said, don't, don't, don't look at him in the eyes. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, uh, he said, no, 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 he's, He's been known. He doesn't like when people look him in the eyes and he's been known to fire security people on the spot for this. And I laughed. I just laughed out loud. And I said, are you nuts? 
I said, I got this. It'll be okay. He says, I'm serious, man. So I said, all right, cool. Thanks. So he disappears. The, 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 the Model S rolls up and um, the entourage gets out and they come in at the time, at that time, the, the senior director of security operations, who's no longer there, comes out. And uh, I'm laughing at, you know, with this. And I tell him this story and he just shakes his head and he goes, yeah, you know, it's kind of the guy Musk is type of thing. And, and we share a laugh. So uh, here comes Musk. He gets out the, the car. He walks in. Door gets open. I look him in his eyes. I say, hey, how you doing, sir? Reach out and shake his hand. Good, he says. <laughs> I said, have a great trip. And he walks upstairs. Well, I look back and it was like a cartoon, like something you see in a cartoon. You got all these security officers around a corner with like their heads stacked on one another, looking over to watch, watch my interaction with this guy as he comes in the door to see it. And then after the fact, you're like, dude, man, you looked him in the eye. You shook his, you, oh, you, you probably shouldn't have done that. You know, and I, it was, it's just a funny story. Um, I, <laughs> I laugh at stuff like that, but it talks about the, you know, the guy wakes up. He takes a leak. He goes to the bathroom. He puts his pants on the same way you and I do. He's a man, period. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's, a, he's a human being, right? So at the end of the day, um, no big deal. You know, no big deal. Um, but that, that, that speaks to the culture inside the organization. And that's one of the things that I learned real quick is, is that that culture permeated. That is the, that, that is the intimidation factor that it has been created by Musk's actions um, uh, and treatment of employees. That's that's there's you can't argue that. Right. This is leadership 101. This is human behavior 101. And um, it, it's almost I, I will say because I, you know, I'm not even going to get into it. But what I will say is this is when you look at cults, when you look at the study of different things, you, you see this blind loyalty and blind following and this fear and intimidation that's instilled in people. And to see that in a corporate work culture is absolutely disgusting to me. We see it in criminal organizations. We see, but to see that in a corporate culture, um, it's sad. You know, people afraid to speak out, people afraid to report injuries, people afraid to, 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 to question things, talk about what they see. What kind of operation is that? I mean, you expect, I, I don't know what individual in their right mind in a leadership role of such an operation, any operation, Tesla, whatever would expect that that's okay and that that's going to ultimately allow them to, to reach their end state goals and, and accomplish their mission because it's, it's not. I mean, history has proven that over and over again. It, it won't. Ultimately, the empire is going to fall. The house of cards are going to come, come down because you, you can't sustain that, right? It, it's unsustainable. Now, with somebody like this, where you, you're a billionaire and you've got resources, Abby, unlimited, sure, you can sustain for a long time. Power, money, control, ego, and narcissism. That's what that is, period. And I've seen it. I've taken down, and I don't mean to say taken down, but I've been part of several investigations back in that ombudsman role um, involving um, the ultimate you know, prosecution and uh, termination of uh, major generals, uh, one-star generals, senior officials um, in the Alaska National Guard, um, significant multi-year investigation involving the FBI, um, that I was involved in regarding the rampant sexual assault to cover up of uh, women in uh, the National Guard in Alaska, also involved um, drug dealing by members of that organization, uh, you know, cartel members, different things like that, drug trafficking into uh, Alaska. And, um, you know, I represented those victims as an ombudsman, those female victims. Uh, ironically, that case, I'll touch on that a little bit because it talks about who I am. Um, 
they got away with that shit for a long time and it reached the governor's office. Um, eventually, even their house of cards came down. They really did. So I, this is a great story. You know, I was uh, short and sweet and I, I, I got the chaplain, two state chaplains for the Alaska National Guard, uh, field grade officers, came to my office as an ombudsman, wanted to report um, that they felt that the um, commanding general was covering up crimes um, because of his former position uh, as a senior police captain up there um, and that he was allowing and condoning uh, ongoing criminal activity uh, to, to go on. So we moved forward. Um, I took part in an investigation, um, represented the, the victims. And at the end of the day, um, people can Google that. Uh, but at the end of the day, after three years, um, the federal government got involved, the National Guard Bureau, Office of Complex Investigations, and uh, sent a team up there that I worked with to to fully investigate um, the allegations up to the governor's office because the National Guard is a state organization, right? It, it, the, the commander in chief of that is the governor. Um, you know, so, you know, it, bottom line is that was a, I don't even, you know, the, the governor was forced out of office. The adjutant general, Major General Tom Katkus, um, was relieved of his responsibilities, a one star general, several senior commanders, uh, colonels, field grade officers, as well as many subordinate leaders, um, people that were protecting them, getting away with it for a long time. Um, so bottom line there, the message is, you know, I don't give up. I, when these victims and these women came to my office and were brought by the chaplain, they'd reported this for years to the governor's office, to law enforcement, to everything. And so, you know, after, after a lot of time of digging and cultivating resources that I had previously worked with, um, that's kind of how that whole thing started. I reached out to somebody who knew somebody and uh, I intend to do the same in this case. Uh, I am going to work diligently, persistently. And uh, I mean, you know, period. I, I honestly don't give a damn what Musk tries. Um, he's tried quite a bit that people aren't aware of over the last year. Um, and at the end of the day, that's fine. I'm not going anywhere. Um, I will continue to do what I have to do to obtain what I need to have the resources to do and continue this fight, not for me, but for everybody else. You know, it's, it's those unsung or those quiet people that are afraid that are bullied, that are intimidated. And that just motivates the hell out of me, man. Indeed. So, uh, you've got a, a GoFundMe campaign. I do. You want yeah. to talk about that a little bit? Give it a quick plug. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I will. I um, I was asked, you know, that was brought to my attention that I should do that a long time ago, um, you know, by somebody we all know out there. But anyway, you know, I, I and, and Carl, you need you need help. You need help. And it's now we're good. We're good. We're good. So I it got to a point, that, you know, after my truck was repossessed, after all this stuff, you know, and I, it just it went down. I got to the point where I swallowed some pride and I said, you know what, let me uh, let me tell people a little bit about who I am and see if maybe we can get some help here. Um, you know, um, legally, um, financially and, and whatnot to cover a lot of those costs and different things. And so, yeah, I, I created that GoFundMe and, 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 and it was a huge initial outpouring that I, I can't begin to say how thankful I, I, I can't convey, uh, to be honest with you, the words I, of thanks. Words don't seem to cut it. Um, but that, I'll tell you that initial, rapid us uh, man all the donations the support the comments from people who left donations um i so wanted to get out there you know on twitter and thank everybody but yeah i 
that saved my ass, quite frankly, initially, um, and got got the what is it got the wolf off the back door initially um, to a certain extent. Got my you know got my rent paid up, um, kept me from being evicted. I mean, I was literally eleven thousand dollars behind in rent, man, and that got that you know caught up. Um, you, you know, my vehicle, different things, ongoing um, expenses, but you know the 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 common denominator, you know, I guess with whistleblowers is that someone with unlimited resources, they, they try to destroy them. They try to take them out and they keep coming and coming and coming. And so um, that, so that whistleblowers ultimately give up. Right. And, and that's what I think um, their goal is or was probably still is with me, but I'm not going away and I, I, I need more help. I mean, that's it. I'm still, yeah, that was enough to like be like, okay, Hey, get the wolf off the door for a month or two. And now recently going back to work, um, we're good. We got a little bit coming in, you know, I'm making 14 an hour, you know, working almost 40, but you know, Hey, it is what it is. It's a job and I'm working. I'm so thankful for that. Um, but there's still a whole lot out there, um, that, that, you know, I could use some help with. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm begging. I'll talk on it. I, I had to swallow some pride and I am so amazingly thankful to everybody. So is anybody who, Here's this who has is has donated. I I thank you from the bottom of my heart because uh, quite honestly, you've uh, yeah, I, I, you saved me from some pretty significant crap. Um, um, and, you, and you got things moving forward again. And so as we as we move forward and continue to fight, my goal is to to continue just doing that. And, and, and if if people would be inclined to continue to support that, um <laughs> would be extremely helpful in so many ways. And, and yeah. you'll keep providing updates on that page, I'm sure, right, as you go forward? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. As you're able to, of course. That's correct, yeah. And, and listen, man, I'll fight with or without, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's just a huge benefit for me to know, you know, the support out there whether it's financial, I'm talking, you, that, the financial piece, absolutely awesome, right? How, but, but I'm going to tell you that emotional charge that I get from the commentary, from the support, just seeing people out there writing things, sending me little notes and messages, whether they donate or not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking outside of that. That is more meaningful to me because it, the emotional toil, I'm going to be quite frank with you over this last year plus has been, I've been through a lot of shit in my life, brother. I've, I've, I've dealt with a lot of stuff. This, this has been a test for Carl. This has been a test. And, um, you know, um, that's all I can say to that. I, it's been a test that something totally and completely, even though I was aware of it, even though I dealt in it and I'd helped other people in that arena, it's a different animal. And um, so, yeah, that emotional charge, man, that, so please, if any, whatever, man, reach out, support that, that just gives me motivation and drive. Um, and, and inspires me, man. It makes me smile when I wake up. It makes me have a little bit more motivation and passion, you know? So bottom line is so, Carl's not giving up. I'm here. And, um, you know, and you either appreciate way, but everything either way, but I appreciate everything. And like I say, either way that help means everything to me yeah. financially kind words whatever i love getting on twitter every morning and and scrolling through the feeds and just reading i i just and i so yeah i'll tell you man 
it is so hard for me, right? Because I've been so quiet for so long and people that know me, they're like, Carl, I know this is hard for you, but yeah. And I know I, I do it for a reason, right? Because it's the right thing to do. Um, but man, it's hard. I want to get out there and I want to praise and I want to thank and I want to do all that. So please let your listeners know and, and hopefully they hear this. They'll know that, uh, I am eternally grateful and um, moving forward, I continue to uh, want to represent and help and advocate for not only whistleblowers, but yeah, whistleblowers at Tesla, wherever. Um, I think the myriad of experience that I've uh, and and wisdom I've learned through this process has been such that um, combined with my background, um, I, I am able to adequately and sufficiently help people who may need help in that arena. So on that note, Hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. Um, so we're we're at about an hour and eight minutes now. Just as a, I know there's been a, a lot of things that you haven't been able to say, but assuming yep. there weren't any legal, any, any assuming there weren't legal reasons for you not to say everything, how how long could you talk about this? Like, how many hours of an episode could this have been? To be assuming honest with you, if I had no, if I had no constraint. And I mean, I, I plan on writing that book someday, but we could talk for hours. I could literally talk days, to be honest with you, days, days. I, you have to understand that, you know, we have yeah, been engaged in this for so long that the amount of evidentiary material and other material that I've collected, that I've gone through, that I've pieced together, that, that you should see my living room and my dining room. The walls literally look like a, a you know. Uh, uh, an investigative field office working a major crimes <laughs> task force. I swear to God, I mean, link analysis, the whole nine yards, and I mean, hours on it. So I could talk for days. I could talk for days. Um, my, my, my poor attorneys, it was, it was funny. Um, we go back to the beginning of this, and because nobody, nobody knew Sox was even on the playing field, I don't think. That came totally out of left field. So in preparation for all of this, my legal folks, it took me two months to compile 20 binders of evidentiary material. Um, that I submitted to them and I, I UPS them down there in big boxes and, you know, with one inch plus binders and then collated different. Yeah. I mean, just organized. So my, my lawyer gets this and I get a phone call. He's like, never in my entire career have I had a client who, so whatever, whatever. Anyway, they were just, he was amazing. It was very helpful to them. And I, you know, uh, the, the paralegal actually said to me, Carl, you trying to take my job? It was pretty funny. This was just good laughing thing. But no, it's, it's just about just what I do, right? Man, probably people would say I'm nuts. Uh, in fact, a lot have. They tell, it, 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 my kids tell me I'm crazy. You know, Dad, you just you're too thorough. Well, you know, it can be a blessing or a curse, I guess. But in this case, it is what it is. I think it'll come in you handy know. ultimately. I'll do ten episodes for you, man. We can do it as time goes on. <laughs> All right. You know. You know, I tell you, it's funny. It's kind of like the Theranos book. You ever read Theranos? You ever read about Theranos? I still Theranos? haven't read that. The John Kerry-Rue Bad Blood? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I started that, and, and I, I I listened to it on Audible, but I will tell you the similarities. That's one thing that, that I've told some people is that the similarities. I, I was getting chills listening to that book um, on, on audio. Not, I, it's It'll just blow your mind. I'd recommend people give it a read if they want an insight into the corporate culture inside of Tesla. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So. Yeah, it definitely seems seems that way from everything that I've observed from afar. But yes, sir. you definitely, 
you definitely have a lot more inside knowledge of everything. So you've, you've lived through it. Yeah. And I would, I wish I could share everything that's still ongoing and I will someday, but right now, obviously, you know, I, I promise I will. Um, and it's a lot of restraint not to, but it will happen. And, uh, hopefully you'll give me the opportunity when that time is out there to, uh, to come back on and we can revisit. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, um, it's been, been good talking to you. Uh, I think sure. we'll wrap up this episode. Any, any last things you want to say before we Man, it up? I want to say thank you. Period. I don't, I don't need to get into a long diatribe. I want to say thank you to everybody. Thank you to you. Um, um, and I wish everybody well. Um, and, and I'm so thankful for the, the ongoing support and, uh, just know, I, I will say that, know that, look, I, when I'm in the arena, I'm in the arena and I'll cross the finish line, whether it be first or whether it be last. And I, I want anybody that wants to join me and I hope that other people are stand up and, um, you know, I, I do encourage people to stand up, to speak out, to get a hold of me. Um, if they feel that they need to do that, um, you know, and to everyone out there, keep up your good work in all areas that you're focused on. Uh, especially the test queue folks. That's what I'm talking to those guys. Absolutely. The Q crowd. Oh my goodness. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, folks out there. Um, very, very smart people. And I'm, I'm humbled to be, and then they're onto a lot of shit. And, and so it's, it's, it's tough in the sense that some of the stuff I see out there from these very highly intelligent, highly, very smart people and they, they bring this stuff out there and and there's so much that I'm like oh man I wish I could comment I know a little bit about that I know I could add to that I could I could t-. you know so there's a lot of information out there and a lot that I still have that we'll talk about someday but that's all I want to say thank you so much and uh, look forward to uh, you getting this out there all right I do too all uh, right everybody everybody listening thanks for listening thanks for supporting carl especially emotionally and keep doing that and any any other people out there who might listen to this that have information that might pertain to any of the things that carl's investigating don't be afraid to speak out there are people out there that are willing to help you and support you and don't let wrongness continue i mean flat out if you see something Absolutely. that's wrong, speak out. And with that, we'll call this episode number 43 of the Tesla Q podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.